Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 14th of June 2015, entitled The Grace of Giving Part 3. And the Bible readings are taken from 1 John chapter 3 verses 16 to 24 and 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 to 7. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. What we looked at last Sunday morning and this morning, and really just closing off this evening on the grace of giving, the grace of giving. And if you would, over these last few weeks, certainly the burden of my heart, and I trust and pray that what God may have at least given you a glimpse of through what we've been looking at leading up to our missions conference, through our missions conference, and now this is the second Sunday since that missions conference, uh, that as we look into Scripture, that we find that it really is about all about the heart. <laughs> um, we're talking here about the grace of giving. Let's read our passages. Really what we're going to look do this evening is really just look through these final passages. I want to be an encouragement to you. I want to remind you what a great God that we serve. What a great privilege it is that we have to be able to do all we can to win the loss to Christ, to get the gospel to them. But what a great, great God that we have. I want to, uh, to read to you again this evening if you want to uh, uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and put your finger there, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and then reading from 1 John chapter 3, I'd like to begin reading in verse 16 down through verse 24 of 1 John chapter 3. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath the world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave his commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches 
of their liberality or to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can have the confidence even as we gather here this evening. Lord, that these are not just man's words on a page. These are your words. Lord, that you breathed each and every one of them, that you have preserved them for us by the power of your spirit that breathed these words through men of old. That same spirit is here with us this evening to speak to our hearts to give us the understanding that needs to come from you, not man, not man's ideas. Please, Lord, speak to our hearts. Give us that which you would have us to have, and we'll give you all the praise and thanks. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. The thing that we've looked at in these several sermons, we tried to begin by looking at the importance of why Winning the lost is so important, whether it's home evangelizing or whether it's missions on the foreign field. We tried to look at the crisis in the church, and though we could say that we have financial crisis here and we have crisis of this and crisis of that, really the crisis of the church begins just as it began in Revelations with the seven churches when they left their first love. That's what everything else stems from. We've looked at all these things. Why is it more blessed to give than to receive? That doesn't exactly work with the way our flesh usually works. Why does the Bible teach us that it's the love of money that is the root of all evil? And yet we find here in 1 John this wonderful passage that every time I read it, it just it's like it just screams out to look that Here's how you know the love of God. Here's how you see it. Here's how you experience it. Because he laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us, and he said we ought to be willing to do the same. He tells us that if you've got a God that loved you so much that he laid down his life for you, how can you possibly speak words like, I love you. I love God. I love the brethren. And yet when that brother is in need and your compassion is shut up against him, how can the love of God be living in you? Because that's not the love of God. God was willing to sacrifice everything for us. And we ought to be willing to do the same thing. And all those things we've looked at that he's not interested in just our words of how I love you, Lord, and I love your church, and I love your people. He said that he wants us not just to love in word and tongue, he wants us to love in deed and in truth. 
And he says, it's, this is how that we know that we are of the truth, and this is how that we will assure our hearts before him. When our heart condemns us, you know, God's the one that's greater. It's when we're approved of God that's important. We find that there are many other things that are said there, but what we're really looking at is, and I've said to you, is that you know, sometimes it's 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 sometimes it's hard because we expect some of the negative reactions in these weeks and all that I've tried to give you from my heart. But I believe God has spoken to my heart. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that it's me nor God that's trying to get you to give more. I think God wants you to love more. I think God wants you to love in the same way that he loved. Remember the illustration I gave you this morning that I heard one preacher say that, that there's three different types of giving. There's the giving that's like the flint stone, that stone of flint when you have to take a, a hammer or another stone or something to, to beat on it to get it to do what it's supposed to do for those sparks to fly. Some people have to be beat upon in order to get them to give. <laughs> Some give like a sponge. The only way you can get it out of the sponge is to squeeze it, and some people have to be squeezed. But the giving that God wants is like the honeycomb. <laughs> it just naturally overflows. It doesn't have to be beat over the head. It doesn't have to be squeezed. Matter of fact, God goes to great extent, and what we've looked at already, and we're going to read these verses here shortly, is that God doesn't even want you to give grudgingly. <laughs> I'm not trying to get you to give what you don't want to give. We said time and again in all kinds of different ways that you can't buy favor with God. We've talked about the giving of the first fruits and we've talked about the, the giving of the free will offerings and all of those things that relate to that. I tried to impress upon you this morning that what people need to see is God's love through us. I remember reading the story of right after World War II. There was a soldier that was traveling down the streets of one of the cities of Europe. I don't even remember which city that it was now. But as he was traveling down, and of course, everything was war-torn and destroyed, and there were all these kids and orphans that had been left without families and without homes, and he saw this little boy looking through the window of the bakery, and inside that bakery, the baker was in there and he was baking up all this fresh bread. But what that little boy's little mouth was just salivating over was those fresh donuts that were being made in there. And the soldier asked the little boy, he said, would you like one of those? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'd, I'd love one of those. The soldier goes in the bakery and he didn't get him one. He actually buys him a dozen, and he comes out with this bag full of a dozen donuts, and he, he hands them to him, and it's like the little boy's gets, eyes get so big, and the soldier turns to leave and to walk away, and he hears this voice from behind him, Sir, sir. And he turned around and looked at him, and he asked him this simple question. He said, Are you God? Are you God? Because to that little boy, <laughs> that act, here he was, he had no food. He had nothing. You know, this is the act. This is what God wants to see through us. It's, it's, it's not the money thing. Remember this morning, we said people can do all these things. They can say all these things. And our minds try to figure all these things out. And we, we looked at these, these, these men that were Christians. They started some of the best known business conglomerates in this world. One gave 10% of everything that he earned. The other one gave 25%. The other one gave 50%. 
course, the one gave 90%. <laughs> he and his wife decided to give God 90% and live off the 10. You see, but they were doing that from their hearts. God doesn't want us to give grudgingly. God doesn't, we, we're not going to buy favor. He's not going to love us more. He wants that love, that genuine love, that love that he has to show through us. And this is what, when we look at this whole matter of this, what we call faith promise giving, that is giving by faith that we read about it to the church in Corinth. He, he's using the church at Macedonia as an example. But we said uh, in these three sermons as we look there, you know, he begins by telling us that he wants the church at Corinth to see, to witness, to, to visualize this grace of God that was bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. I want you to see. Now, we talk about grace and the, the amazing grace of God and the glorious grace by which we're saved. And grace doesn't have anything to do with us working up what we're going to do or do what we're going to do or do what's within our means. It's totally, completely undeserved, unmerited favor by God alone. What was taking place in this church was not good people doing good things. It was God doing what they didn't deserve. God doing what only he could get credit for. You see, that's what God was wanting them to witness. Now he goes through, and we've looked at that already in those first verses, that yes, it began by first of all, them giving of themselves. <laughs> it began by them doing what was within their power, what they could do. But then he said, man, look at these people. This doesn't make sense. I mean, these people, they're in great affliction. They're in deep poverty. None of us know the kind of deep poverty that the Scripture's talking about there not knowing where their next meal is coming from, not knowing where anything's coming from. And yet, while they were being afflicted and while they were, had nothing themselves, when they'd done everything, here they were begging us to let them give us a gift, <laughs> to let them give, to let them be a part of what we were doing for God. <laughs> he said, I want you to see this kind of grace. They weren't doing something out of pressure, being beat over the head, being squeezed. It was truly the love of God that dwelled in them that was flowing out. We say it really all comes back, and that's what, even when we looked at the first fruits, even when we looked at the free will offerings, it's all. It really all comes, God just, God wants our heart. And if he's got our heart, we're not going to have to worry about or pound about all these possessions that we have in this world that are so temporal. And we've looked at a number of illustrations that deal with that. You see, God works the impossible. I remember reading the story of a missionary. I should have shared this with this morning. Jensen just got back from Hong Kong. Brother Steve, I remember reading of a missionary in Hong Kong that was there and they were ministering. And he saw this great need for the ministry amongst the young people. But he had no place to have these meetings. Well, there was this convention center that actually went bankrupt and it, and it went on the market. And so he goes and he, and he tries to find out what's the least money that it's going to take to be able to purchase that multi-million dollar property. And of course, it was substantial. But he thought, God's God. 
God can do what man can't do. So what does he do? He believes it's God's will for this ministry to take place. He believes God's leading him in that direction. So he begins literally to travel the world trying to raise the funds to be able to, to purchase this place so that he can minister to these young people. But he has no success. <laughs> he just can't find hardly anybody. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he can't figure this out. He knows God's burdened his heart. He feels that God's opened this door and yet nobody's willing to give to get this property. Folks, this is not a made-up story. He receives in the post one day a letter from a little girl that was in one of the churches that he had been in. And in this letter, there's a $1 bill that is attached in there. And she said, I heard what you wanted to do for these young people. And I don't have much, but this is all that I've got. I want you to use this. And of course, her words were to purchase that place that you need. Well, now that makes about as much sense as the farthest stretch of our imagination to use a $1 bill from across the world to purchase a multi-million dollar conference center. He said, God, this don't make sense. But he takes that dollar bill. He goes down to the real estate office and he talks to them in the real estate office. And as he talks and shares his story of what he wants to do, the miraculous happens. They decide to take that $1 for that whole center. The corporation that owned it, it was just a write-off to them. You think that was coincidence? That was just the deeds of men? No, that was, that was the working of God through so many different things. You see, God can work in so many ways. We get this idea sometimes, and, and I've, I've tried to encourage our people here lately. Yes, we face some pretty big financial mountains ourselves right now as a church. And we can focus upon those. We can say, yes, we need a new roof on the church. And yes, we need new windows. And yes, we need this. And yes, we need that. But I believe with all my heart, God will meet those needs. Not when we start looking inward and trying to be tight-fisted and hold on. But God's economy says, give, and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, and running over. You see, the truth is, is that we can trust God. And he tells us over and over in so many ways to prove him. And this, when Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, he's saying, just look at this. Look at what God has done over here. And you find over and over and over that this is the grace of God. And we left in verse 7. You know, he's talking about they've got a lot of good things going for them. <laughs> but he says to them there, he says, therefore, as ye abound. In other words, they've really got these things going. They've, they've got abundance of these things. As you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, in diligence, in your love to us. See that ye abound in this grace also, I don't want you to, to try to talk you into doing something you don't want to do. I want you to see the grace of God at work, the same kind of grace that saved you when you didn't deserve it, that did the impossible when he saved your wretched soul. He's still in the saving business of all those others out there that haven't heard yet. He's saying to this church, look what God did over here. 
Now, you got a lot of good things going, but you need to abound in this grace also. You need to see God doing this for you also. I speak not by commandment. He said, this is not a commandment. I'm not trying to tell you. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. And we can say a lot of things, but isn't that what John just got through saying in his letter? That we shouldn't be loving just in words and speech and what we say, but we ought to be loving with our actions. He said, you know, this is not something that you do because you have to. You can't make God love you more. But it's a way of showing how sincere that you are in your love. For ye know, what, the grace. <laughs> you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. You know, Jesus was willing to give it all up for you so that you could have everything. And herein I give my advice. He's already said this is not by commandment, but he says, for this is expedient for you. This is expedient for you. This is good for you. This is important for you. Who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was readiness to will, so there may be a performance also of that which ye have. They promised, they spoke their words a year before. We will do this. But he's saying now, don't love just in word, speech. Love with your deeds. Love with your actions. You promised it a year ago. Now, commit yourself to that which you have promised. Do that which you promised to do. Remember what I told you this morning about R.G. Latourneau? <laughs> when he was in a position when literally he was over $100,000 in debt, the accountants, the creditors had come in. They had told him, first of all, that if he wanted to keep his business, he was going to have to start operating seven days a week. He was going to have to start working on Sundays also. He was already working six days a week. But he refused to work that seventh. <laughs> and also when they started figuring out his debts, he said, well, a year ago, <laughs> they made a promise a year ago. He said, a year ago, I made a promise to my church for missions that I was going to give $5,000 to missions. You're $100,000 in debt. This accountant's blowing his stack. This makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. He says, I'm going to honor that <laughs> before anything. In the end, I gave you those figures this morning. How during the Great Depression, <laughs> when absolutely everything is going the wrong way economically, and yet this man's business begins to multiply and to grow. Was it magical? Did he buy things? No. It was because of what was in his heart. He was doing what truly was coming from his heart. And he was not far from there when it was his wife, I said, that recommended to him, instead of 
us keeping 90 and giving God 10, why don't we do it the other way around? God's blessing us so much now. Let's live on 10 and give God 90. I wish I could remember the exact words. I've got it somewhere in my notes, but I've done scrambled up so much there. But he made a statement, something to this effect. He said, it's not how much I give of mine to the Lord. It's how much I use of the Lord's for me. He knew it all belonged to God. Everything he had was by the grace of God. And here's a man that suddenly, as the money starts, he starts being blessed, instead of getting tighter, he says, no, it's not a question. Remember what I told you last week? I gave you a couple of examples of men like John Wesley and William Carey. How that as God blessed them, rather than them living better, they continued to live off the same and they used everything that God was blessing them with. Why were their lives such an influence? Not because they bought favor with God, but because of where their hearts were with God. What was happening through them was God's love. God was working through them. God was doing that which they could not do themselves. He says, For if there be first a willing heart, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. God will never ask you to do what you cannot do. God will never ask you to do what somebody else is doing. God just wants you to do what you can do and then to let him do what you can't do. He goes on and he says, I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened. I'm not saying this so somebody else can have the easy life and you can be in worse shape. But by inequality... That now at this time your abundance may be a supply for the want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, and there may be an equality, as it is written. He that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. There's many things there. Look down at verse 24. Wherefore, show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Show them. Show them how much that you genuinely, truly love. God wasn't asking that things be worse. He was just asking them that, that their love, that this love, the love that John was talking about could be seen in their lives, their reputation, their testimony amongst the other churches even. He goes on. He says, for as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, you may be ready. In other words... He knows the intention of their heart. He knows the promises that they've made. He's even used that as a testimony for others. But he said, now, let's not let it be just in words. 
Let's see it happen. Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. You know, what the way that we do it, it's just a biblical way. This was what they did in the church. They, they promised it and they put this money together and then it was sent to those missionaries. It was used. You know, in those days, somebody else would come by and pick it up and physically carry it to give it to the other person. Now we just, we don't even have to send a check anymore. We just transfer it electronically. But it's the same principle that what was taking place here it was a systematic way that they were doing it. And it was then being sent and used for those others that it might be used. It's important for our testimony. It's important that we plan, that we prepare, that we perform those things. Not to organize God out of it, but as he said here, to be a reminder to us. He says, I know I've been bragging about you already, telling others what you're doing. <laughs> now, let's let that testimony be a reality of what is really going on here. Verse 6, he says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. You see, again, we're not buying fever. This, this is the harvest. This is something that is being sown and then later being drawn from. Remember the statement that I gave you this morning that the great missionary Jim Elliott made <laughs> when he talked about, you know, <laughs> how was it that you know, he could, in this world, how could he fail to give away that which he couldn't keep anyway? <laughs> how could he not? How could he not act that way? When in the end, how could, he, how could he not use for God what would be there for eternity? So many times our focus is upon just the temporal, what we're doing with what we have now. How can we possibly, how can we possibly keep that which we're going to lose? How can we hang on to that which is going to come to nothing? But on the other hand, how can we dare not give when it's going to be reserved for us for all of eternity? We find that this gracious God, he says here again in, in verse 7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I can't, I can't overestimate. I've been, I've been saying that time and again. I don't want to talk you into anything I don't want to encourage you to do something that some action, some giving, you know, this is all, everything here is about what's happening from our heart, the love from our heart, proving what's in our heart. It's the evidence of what's in our heart. We're not buying something to put in our heart. It's the result of what is already there. God's not trying to get us to do something that we don't want to do, that we're feeling grudging about. God's just wanting us to love more. God's wanting us to love like he loves. He's wanting his love to 
to show through us. He's wanting it to be a matter of the heart because when it's from the heart, you'll take great joy in it. It's not something that you'll be wishing, oh, I wish I didn't have to do this or, boy, I could be using this for that or something else. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Do we believe that? Do we really trust God that much as it is written? He hath dispersed abroad. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. You see, what God is doing, it really comes down to a matter of grace. It's God that's doing it. What is it? For by grace are you saved through what? Through faith. Guess what? That's how we're saved. Guess how this grace of giving works in our hearts? Through faith. God's grace is what always does it. But the only pathway to that is that of faith. He goes on here and he explains that when he, he says here, I guess in chapter 9, and then notice what he says. I think it's in chapter, that's chapter 9. <clears throat> he says here beginning in verse 9 through 15 and then chapter 10. That's what I was wanting to look at. Notice what he says picking up in verse 12. He says, for... We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. A lot of people like to do what they're doing so that they can get the credit for it, so that they can pat themselves on the back, so that they can look good before other people. He says, that's not what we're looking for here. He says, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. Are we going to measure what we're doing by man's measurements or by God's measurements? Paul's saying, you know, look, we're not worried about being commended by men. We're not worrying about others patting us on the back. They measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves among themselves. We're not going to boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reached not unto you. For we have come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ, not boasting, not bragging of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope. When your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord 
commended. I'm not going to say much, much more this evening. I'm simply saying that as individuals, I believe what we've looked at in these weeks, as individuals and as a church, there are many, many things that are important to us, but nothing, nothing is more important and no task is greater than getting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the lost. Nothing. And the truth is, is that, not that I believe that it's going to, but this building can fall down around our ears. That doesn't do away with the church. The church isn't the building. The church is we that make up the church. And what greater can be accomplished through a church is not building greater buildings and not having more comforts and not showing what we can do in building our little kingdoms down here. It's being involved in his kingdom being built. If we had no building to meet in, the church would not be any less a church. Thank God for what he's given us. And I believe that God will continue to meet our needs as a people here. That's not what we're here for. The work of missions, the work of going into all the world with the gospel. I make no apologies as your pastor to say that when we lose focus of that, when we lose focus of doing all that we can to evangelize the lost, to reach out to the children that we minister to in this church, to reach out through the outreaches of this church, to take every opportunity that we can to share the gospel with others, when we lose sight of being able to help, have a part in sending these missionaries all around the globe to be able to share the love of God, isn't that what he said it's all about? Isn't that what it really comes down to? Them seeing, he says, here's how you know, here's how you see, here's how you can know that God loved you because he laid down his life for you. He gave it all for you. Now, let the love of God be seen through you. Let the love of God be seen through those that we send out. We do all that we can as a church. There is a portion of your tithes that you give every week. 10% of that, that means I guess 1% if you're giving 10% of yours, is going to the work of missions through that avenue. Because I personally believe that every church, a part of its budget, a part of what it's doing, ought to be getting the gospel to the ends of the world. God will bless us for that. But then, I thank God. Understand this. I recognize and I realize that for a congregation our size, you could go in probably most, if not all, the churches in this city and you'd be hard-pressed to find another church that per member, per people that they have in that church that's doing more for the work of missions than what this little church does. That's not boasting in us. That's boasting in God. That's getting a glimpse of that grace, not because we deserve it, not because we're doing it, but because God is doing it. I thank God for the heart that you have, for your giving heart, for your generous heart. And you know what? I don't regret encouraging you to do that because I know with every part of my being 
that God will bless you for that. You know what? Just as Paul said, you know, we're reminding you. He's wanting them to understand, to experience this grace of giving that is beyond them. Paul says, when your faith is increased, we're going to be enlarged to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. It is the grace of God. And the only way that grace can be reached in our church or in any church is the same way you reach it to become a child of God, and that's through faith. Do we really believe God will do what he says he will do? Do we trust him that much? And I'm saying we want to see God do not only what is possible for us in our midst, but what is beyond us. That's what Macedonia was doing. That God get all the credit. They that glory, let them glory in the Lord. All of this comes back. Not to giving so that we can have a pat on the back, so that we can feel good about ourselves, so that we can feel good about each other. But the love of God is shown through our lives, through our church, in all that we do, that he can be glorified, that people can look and say, whoa, what is going on there? How is that happening? How is that possible? Not because of a bunch of people, but because of a great God. Because God can do the impossible. I know. I know it doesn't always make sense. I know that you can't always figure it out. But that's our God. So I unashamedly, God forbid, that we would ever become so satisfied with ourselves that we don't want to do more, that we don't have a heart to do more, that we love any less. But God help us that we would love like God loves. God help us that we would have the faith to trust him. I say to you again, no, don't, don't worry. If, 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 if you don't want to give any more to missions this year, don't do it. And if, and if you're giving what you're giving begrudgingly, hang on to it if you want to. What I'm encouraging you to do is that you allow the love of God to show through your life, that you allow God to do through you what you can't, not because you deserve it, not because you're so spiritual, but just because you trust him. You see, faith is not something to brag about. Faith is something to use. Trust God. Somebody came up to me this morning and asked me what I meant by a statement that I made this morning in the fact that nothing will ever grow stronger without exercise. So if you want your faith to grow stronger, you need to exercise your faith. Somebody came up and said, how do you exercise your faith? And I'm saying by putting into action what you already trust. If you can trust God for a pound a week, then put it into action. See God do that, and guess what? It'll help you to trust him for two pounds or for three pounds. Your faith will never grow if you don't use it, if you don't put it into action, if you don't exercise it. It's God that's doing it all. We need to exercise whatever. The song we sing sometimes, little is much when God is in it. God will take what you have. God's not wanting you to do what you can't do. 
God's not wanting you to do something that you're regretting. He's wanting you to act upon what's in your heart. What's in your heart? Are you just saying and speaking, or are you showing? You see, I want God to bless you so much that you can't even believe it yourself. I want God to show you that you can trust him in everything. And as long as you're just doing what you can do, I thank God. If you're faithful and bringing your tithes, your first fruit into the church, I thank God because God will bless you for that. He's always, his people supports his work. If you're giving from your heart beyond that, because God's work means that much, thank God. God will bless you for that. But you know what? No matter how much you love, no matter how much you do, there'll come a point when you've reached your limit. You honestly can't do any more. Now, most of the time in our society, there's few of us that reach that point because we're still wasting on this and wasting on that and wasting on all kinds of things that ought not to be taken a priority above lost souls out there. But we do, and we're human, and we're all guilty but no matter how spiritual that you are, no matter how generous that you are, you'll get to a point that you can't do any more. You've done everything that you can. And you see, that's where the church of Macedonia was at. That's what Paul was wanting the church at Corinth to see here. Man, they'd given themselves, they'd done everything that they could do. But then out of their affliction, out of their deep poverty, they were doing that which was beyond them. And they were so happy about it. I want you to do what makes you happy. I want to do what brings you real joy. I want God to work through you in a way. And so you pray. You just do what God wants you to do. And I don't apologize that we're trying to remind you that it's for the cause of missions. I don't, I don't, I'm not ashamed to remind you that this church doesn't exist by the world paying its bills. God has called us as a people, and we ought to love him enough to take care of those and to do those things. But today, I just want you to love like God loves. I want you to show that love the way that God has shown it to you. And when you do that, and I promise you, I promise you, it'll be great. You'll be happy. God will be happy, and we'll all be happy. And isn't that what we want? We're not wanting to do something that will make us miserable and worse off. We're wanting to see God do the impossible. We want to know that God's doing everything that he possibly can, that God is doing everything, I guess. We'll never see God do everything that he possibly can, but that we have the faith, the confidence to see, to visualize, to know. God's grace, God's work, God doing that which we don't deserve, God doing that which we can take no credit for, that grace. He says, and everything else, I want you to abound in this grace also, this grace of giving, this grace of God doing through you, not what will make you miserable, but what will give you real joy. Father, I thank you so much this evening. Lord, I, I honestly, in these few weeks, I know that you've burdened this preacher's heart that, Lord, it's our hearts that's the problem. It's our level of love that's the problem. 
It's not the giving. That is something that is important. That's something that we ought not to, to be ashamed to look at and to read. But, Lord, that is all a direct result of our hearts. When our hearts are where they ought to be, when our hearts are loving like they ought to, when it's your love that's loving through us, when it's you that's in control of our lives, Lord, the honeycomb just flows naturally as that honey flows out of it. Lord, I believe that's the way our lives will be when it's you that's in control. Lord, you created us in your image. Time and again in Scripture, we know that the object of our sanctification here is to be made more and more like the Savior. There is no greater giver. <laughs> there is not a selfish bone in your body. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to know your love in such a way, Lord, that we could love in the same way. Help us. Help us not to get selfish. Help us not to desire things that we can consume upon our own lust, but help us, Lord, to love like you love as we look around us, as we see those in need. Help us, Lord, to have compassion as you do. Lord, you do that through us, which, Lord, is beyond what we can do. We, we thank God that people are willing to do all that they can do to show the sincerity of their love. But, Lord, we want you to do that, which in the end can only come back to bring glory to you, to show that you're doing that, which is only possible with God, not with man. Help us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. 